After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome back to Mind Rolling Podcast with uh, Raghu Marcus and Dave Silver. Hello. And, uh, hi, Dave. Hi, Raghu. Now, as you all know, we do, uh, you know, we do different things in terms of our recording of our episodes. And uh, we did record because uh, we are now at uh, Labor Day weekend, you see. So um, because we took, well, I took what you might call a vacation. It wasn't really a vacation. It's more of a retreat, but whatever. So we did some podcasts before I left, and uh, here we are. So uh, what I'm trying to say, Dave, haven't seen you in a while. Hi, yeah. So well, you've been in India, which is a subject of, which is always uh, a catalyst for some deeper discussion. And uh, first of all, uh, how was it this time? Uh, it... You know, it's funny because every time you go there, it's a completely different experience in one way. I mean, the the essence of, you know, being on retreat there is because it's even from the point that you land, uh, you know, in Delhi off the plane because it's so, uh, everything is left behind so easily. You know, your your life, the, the stuff that you think about is reduced hugely and you're now into, holy shit, it's 110 here, uh, Boy, I hope the taxi has air conditioning, you know, survival kind. So, you, yeah, get down to that kind of a thing when you get there. And, um, you know, I always go to the mountains, as you know, and uh, you know, a lot of family up there. And not to do any kind of travelogue, uh, because uh, we did this last year, as you so aptly reminded me. You're going to talk about that Indian shit again? You just were there last year. This, in fact, yeah, you went to you the say same. It's different every time, so I, I have no case here. <laughs> uh, as I say, you know, it is it is quite a, a different experience uh, in some ways every time, and and in this case, in terms of the the uh, the the biggest thing about India, though, ultimately. Is, is really well expressed in one of the uh, sutras, uh, you know, either Indian or Tibetan, which uh, says, you know, in order to really become a balanced human being, and that's, you know, shorthand for what they really say, um, you need to embrace both the 10,000 horrible visions and the 10,000 beautiful visions. And basically, really, that's what India is, because it's out of control, complete chaos, anarchy, uh, you know, it's like somebody was with us for the first time 
uh, uh, Rachel, who is uh, part of the uh, Love Server Member Foundation, call out to Rachel. She went to India for the first time. We need to do get her to do some kind of a podcast with us, Dave. Find out what it's like from uh, you know uh, mid twenties because we keep talking about you know uh, this new generation getting into all this stuff. Anyhow, she said, "How could this garbage be thrown everywhere in the middle of these beautiful mountains?" I don't understand it. Well, nobody understands it. There's no garbage. There's no facility whatsoever. There's nothing to do. They just throw the garbage. And they back up to the side of a road and with a dump... Uh, well, it's not a dump truck. It's just a truck. And they open it up and they shovel it down a hillside, literally uh, right on top of the mountain. So, you know, it's it's there are a lot of horrible visions in India. And there are a lot of beautiful ones. And so the essence of... of of walking through the terrain, so to speak, not just the physical terrain. You're encountering this stuff all the time. So it is a, it's a beautiful juxtaposition. And, uh, it, you know, the way that you have to deal with it is, uh, you know, goes from, you know, tremendous reactivity to completely being absorbed by it. Anyhow, uh, I will say one thing about in terms of, uh, you know, this being a different uh, trip. It's only different in that uh, I had this, you know, pretty nice realization. I haven't told you about this, even uh, in our saying hello when I got back from India. Um, one of the, so uh, I'm in this ashram, right, which I've been going to with Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji. Everybody know, know him by now. Um, and going back there is, uh, you know, is, is really the core of the retreat because you're just, there's absolutely, you know, you're not distracted by devices. Uh, you're not um, distracted by work or anything, any of your past, everything. It's kind of gone. You're just sitting there and, you know, and it's very internal. So it's a beautiful retreat that way, and there's lots of chanting, and there's, you know, people doing all sorts of uh, different prayers to different deities at different times in the day, and there's a resident saint there that you, you get to sit with, uh, whose name is Siddhima, uh, and we've talked about her in the past. So it's just a wonderful thing from that point of view. So there's one particular little ritual um, of of circumnam, you know, in India they all circumnambulate the different deities. You know, each time they go propitiate the deity, they circumnambulate the building, as you know. Um, so in this one particular instance, they're circumnambulating, and I'm following along, and it's the building that's surround. Uh, it, it's uh, the Mahara uh, Neem Karoli Baba, the statue that they put up after he left his body, which. You know, I've never really been into that kind of a thing, and it still bugs me. I don't even, I don't like it. And, you know, we've been told, and, you know, others of us, you know, have said that when it first went up. Uh, this isn't for people who saw this body, it's for people who didn't, so they have something to focus on. Well, it all makes sense, but it's still kind of very weird to me. So I'm going, every time I go around this building in this circumnambulation, <laughs> my mind starts to just really, like, freak what am I doing here? What is this? This is some Hindu right? I have, I mean, to this day, it's like, what am, this is nuts. Why are you walking around this building? And then, but I, you know, I'm considered like now, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the elders, right? So there's all these people, right? So this is some kind of, so anyhow, I have all this self-talk going on. 
And, uh, and then it led to, geez, I'm going to be leaving the ashram soon. I got to leave some money for the people that work here, right? I mean, the beautiful people, there's about 25, and they've been hauling luggage around the water, you're getting us this buckets of water, whatever it is. And I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about what the donation would be, and then it flips into this other thing where uh, it's, it seems like it's not enough what I'm thinking, okay? Because you start to think a few thousand rupees, but it's 60 rupees, so the dollar ends up being, like, not a lot. And <laughs> then I hear my wife going, in my head, what is it with this scarcity mentality? Just give them the fucking rupees, okay? Which she might have done in a real life. Um, so uh, this is what's going on to me. And then suddenly, Dave, now, you know, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but not much. Um, I have this whole cathartic thing happen to me as I walk around this building, this uh, temple, little small temple, uh, where I, I see the viciousness upon which I had heaped the judgments, <laughs> this absolute, it was terrible. It was like, it was like, uh, violent. I could feel it. And then next thought or, or whatever you want to call it, I had was shit. That's what, that's what we, that's one of the basic things that uh, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji gave us. Just the example of, of like, and the best is Ram Dass and Be Here Now, where he says, you know, once Ramdas was told about, you know, Maharaji said everything about how his mother died, which nobody could possibly know, and he broke down that famous story. That's the story that got all of us to India, and uh, and then um, and Maharaji looks at him with total unconditional love in that moment, and then Ramdas starts to think of all, just like I just did, all the crazy ass bullshit that's going on in your mind. And in this case, he looked up and he went, "Holy jeez, if he he knows." what he knew about my mother, then he knows all this stuff. And he looked up expecting punishment or something, you know, which is what we do in the West, right? And good and evil and all that. And Maharaji looked at him in exactly the same way, completely compassionately, without any kind of judgment whatsoever. And then he, so that's what he famously tells over and over about what unconditional love is. And in that moment, I had that, oh, that's what it's about, but it's about shining it back on yourself, right? It's like merging with that thing. And that thing is, you know, what Maharaji is, was in a human body and all that. No different than it could be just uh, a beautiful acid experience where suddenly you remember that moment when you become one with everything and, right, the trees, it's all love, right? And you, you could just identify with that and shine it back on yourself and then when I did that in that moment, and then I just, okay, you know, compassion. So I really had a deep experience of the reality of, of, of what can happen when you identify with that thing. And, you know, for me in particular, being in that place, it was pretty easy to identify. You know, this is the place where I first met him, you know. And so there's, there's memories all the time, although less less so these days. It's been so many years, um, but uh, that reality I think is if, uh, is an effective thing for everybody, because um, everybody can do it. You can just completely identify with some moment where there's just been love without cause. Mm. Yeah, I yeah I'm, I'm very taken by that yeah i you know it, well there's all kinds of explosions going on in our mind all the time you know i'm reminded 
I hope this is not too much bathos, but I'm reminded of a Bob Dylan song. That okay, wait, bathos. No, I can't. Bathos, you know, like um, a, a ridiculous Pathos, comparison. I know. Pathos. Yeah, but bathos is different. Pathos is, you know what it is. But bathos is like, wow, what a comparison. That's ridiculous. Oh, uh, you know, that's so, a new word. Well, I've, you know, it's a word that I've used a lot. I overused, I think, because maybe I'm I'm very pathetic. But <laughs> I'm reminded of a Bob Dylan song. I don't remember the song. I think it was on the album Infidels, but I'm not sure. Um, when he was giving, he was being given an honorary degree at Princeton, and uh, he was standing next to a professor, and 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 they were both being very polite to each other. And it was a very quiet moment. And in the song, he talks about, "Wow, if this guy next to me could." could hear or see what's happening in my mind, his mind would just explode. Mm. And not that that exactly relates to what you're saying, but to some extent um, it does, because I know in my own case, sometimes I catch myself in a, a moment of deep um, hostility, you know, and I wasn't in that sacred place you were in, but nevertheless, having gone through the, some teachings and so forth, you, you begin to be able to catch these things. The difference between a little bit of practice and none, I suppose, is that, you know, you catch it. It's not that they disappear, because that's just, you know, fantasy for most people, I think. Uh, certainly for me, you know, the, the hostility, the brain explosions, am I giving enough money, I'm giving too much money, I, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I got yelled at by my uh, significant other a few weeks ago because we get Japanese food delivered, and um, it's on her American Express card. So she pays for it, but she's not always here, you know, and I know she always gives a certain kind of large tip and the, the <laughs> Japanese gentleman came to my door with the, you know, with the, um, the food and I worked out, computed in my head what was 15% of the amount that he, the, the cost and I gave him, you know, $3.25. And um, when she got home, she said, you did give him the $5 we always give him, didn't you? <laughs> I said, no, I gave him $3.25. She said, what's the matter with you? How could you be so niggardly? I mean, he's driven in, in the rain, as it so happens. And I felt really bad, you know. But it is true that we work out these things in our head and they're all, you know, self-oriented and I need the money more than he does, all that kind of nonsense. Yeah. And it's so nice to be able to catch yourself. And that's why I'm in such, you know, I'm so humbled by these great teachers who are able to communicate to us, be it a, a, a great Sadhguru, like you're talking about, or, or a great Tibetan teacher, or just a teacher, you know, can say, hey, don't think that you're just, you know, because you've done a bit of meditation, a bit of yoga and all that, that you're not free of these, um, what Dylan called explosions in the mind, you know, where you're just sort of playing these games that are based upon conditioning, I suppose. And it's we're so lucky. Aren't, I mean, we're just so, I'm just full of gratitude about coming across these teachers and Everybody in the um, Maharaji Satsang and many other, you know, outlets that, that let you know, just, you know, catch it. Sharon Salzberg is one of the greatest of this. Pema Chodron is too. It's saying, you know, we're, we should be so humbled and grateful that we've learned how to look at our own consciousness or our own mind, I guess is a better way of putting it, and see where we're, we're not full of compassion. And then to be able to come back and have compassion for ourselves despite that error or that flaw, mm. you know, that's key, isn't it? Yeah, I that's mean, the to key. be able to, yeah. That's yeah. the key. No, absolutely. Uh, by the way, and, uh, you know, another thing that was happening, I took this book to India and, and I, I gave you the title of it the other day, uh, Tertan Sogyal, uh, an incredible biography of a uh, 
an adept yogi uh, from uh, um, who died in 1926, so it's not that far off. Uh, and, and the in the stories in this book uh, and the accomplishments this, this uh, yogi had are just uh, spectacular. And you can go. We have to, of course, tell everybody to utilize their uh, Amazon portal on mindrollingpodcast.com to purchase that book. Because what's it, what's it called again? Tibetan. Tertan Sogyal, T-E-R-T-O-N, and then S-O-Y-G-A-L. And as I told you, I don't know, I mean, that's enough to get the book. It's, the it's book just, is called Tibetan something, but you can get it by Sogyal, by Tertan Sogyal. And the name of the writer is Matteo, I've forgotten his second name, but with all this information... You'll be able geez, to get, this is terrible of us. See how yeah, well, off the wall that we're not together? But we're going to... Can you put it on the website, or please? You do. know, uh, someone... Uh, uh, wrote us a letter saying that we might be better served by saying uh, Amazon Link rather than Portal. I don't quite know why he said this. Oh, really? This. Okay. Forget the it's Portal. The, He's right. Okay, Link. The Link is... It, just say Link and people... It, it takes link. you into our porta, Portal, though. I mean, it's our mind-rolling Portal. It um, is our Portal, yeah. yeah but but, uh, but you get to get a outdated expression. I see. <laughs> I don't oh, know. God help us. Uh, <laughs> uh, would you please... Uh, but please do... Um, yeah. We are seeing more people doing it. We also see people who write and say, you know, I've got a few different podcasts that need my attention here. So right. I can't be buying everything straight from you. Um, so we understand that, too. And, uh, you know, share the wealth is what we say to that. Well, we got a bigger check last month than we've ever had from Amazon. Okay, It wasn't huge, but it was a, an improvement. So this sort of um, uh, irritability that I've betrayed occasionally has paid off. Been, no, I was going to say, it's, yeah, I'm not going to do it anymore because... It's, no, it's, that's the only thing that works. Come on. That's the only thing that so works. Please, please, please bookmark this thing so it's nothing for you to go up there and order, you know, and whenever you order, just hit that uh, in your bookmark bar. Put it right in the bar. Don't put it as one of those drop-down things, okay? Put it in the bar. So, right. um, and, uh, and thanks for, uh, people are donating Dave as well. So, uh, we appreciate that and buying t-shirts, our mind rolling teacher t-shirts are, um, extra beautiful and, uh, please go ahead and purchase them. So, uh, Tertan Sogyal, uh, was a book that I was reading while I was in the middle of the Himalayas. So it's the right place to, to do that. Uh, and, uh. Uh, uh, David and I, uh, David, you haven't finished the book yet, right? Oh, no, no, I just got it because you just suggested it a few days ago. I'm just right. starting it. It's really so when, when you've read it, then we can probably have a little more discussion yeah, but, about you know, it. i, I got to uh, tell the listeners something. Yeah. I, uh, I read a lot, but uh, in the last, uh, ooh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, um, Raghu suggested maybe 25 books to me. And um, some of them were suggested to him, some not. Every single one of them has been a mind blower. I, and and so thank you for that. But also, I, I really do recommend this book and others, uh, including this one, which I have next to me at all times, called The Hundred Years of Advice uh, by Dilgo Kense, a book uh, this from verses originally written by Padampa Sangye. And it sounds all very esoteric and everything, but it isn't. It's just verses, 100 of them, that, that put perspective on our lives. And uh, I think, as you were saying to me before we were podcasting, Raga, this guy Dilgo Kense doesn't mince words. I mean, I'm no. sure he was the gentlest of men just to look at his face. He's a wonderful human being. But he doesn't mince words about mm. perspective. The perspective that you got in India uh, about your own 
uh, predisposition, the perspective that we all get by uh, listening to these great teachers who say to us, come on, stop wasting time. A lot of it's about wasting time, Raghu, don't you think? A, yeah, a lot of it's and that can get tough, you know, because you yeah. can't be doing stuff out of, I, I better do this. If you're doing it from, right. I, I'm doing anything, you know, you're kind of, that's what Tuari, remember Casey Tuari, one of our mentors, uh, we yeah. walk around and, you know, he was like Mr. Natural, you know, he was just saying it as it was, be here, and he was be here now. And he would say, my boy, if you think you're doing anything, you are lost. <laughs> so that's, who, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, more truer than that, it doesn't get. Um, can I can I say one other thing about my little journey where like a week ago I was in a little more than a week ago. I ended up. So the end of the trip, I wanted to take my beautiful wife, Saraswati, and our friend Rachel up to uh this place, Jagashwar, which I went into last year and told how beautiful and peaceful and this, uh, you know, I don't know, 1,500-year-old uh, Shiva temple with this uh, light lingam, which now I found out. You see, every time you go back, you kind of find different stuff. And I found out that this lingam, which just looks like an old rock that's got, it's kind of divided. <coughs> Excuse me. And it represents Shiva Shakti. That's why it's so powerful. So it's like the essence of 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 the manifest universe, you know, Shiva and Parvati. Um, it's the tantric essence, tantric symbol. So, um, anyhow, we went up there, and uh, you know, I was even thinking about what I said about this place, uh, you know, in the middle of the high Himalayan forest and this temple, and sitting there, and there's you hardly even hear a car go through. It's so remote. Uh, just this tiny little town, you know, in a hillside with farms and farmers and, uh, you know, pot growing everywhere, which is nice. Um, and I thought, Jesus, maybe, you know, because maybe it get too dramatic sometimes in our little podcasts and maybe I'm over um, reacting to stuff and building it up so it's like even great, you know, whatever bullshit that goes on in one's mind. Um <laughs> I was actually thinking about that. I was sitting there and going, maybe I just made something of this place. It's obviously ancient and incredible. And then after that thought went away, then there was no thoughts until I realized this this is real. This place has molecules in it that you absorb into and you you get to a place where you're absolutely present. I mean, you're just not thinking about other. I tried. I you know. I, I this is one thing I told you before. Uh, we got on uh, that I was going to do a podcast there. There's there's an incredible guy there. He's uh, an American and, and he's a real uh, student of Ramana Maharshi. He's you know he's just incredibly well versed. We got to try and get him on the show one of these days. But I was going to do a podcast with him with my digital recorder. I had the thought. And I was going to do something with Saraswati. I couldn't even... that It was a thought that went, whoosh, gone. I couldn't mm. even pick the thought up to, to act on it because it just seemed absurd to do anything, you know, in, in, any, in, in any... The moment did not lend itself to anything but the pregnancy of these molecules of expansion and, and lack of time and space. I mean, it is... Folks, it's called Jagashwar. Look it up. And if you ever get to India, I wouldn't. Uh, I would. Uh, it would be one of the most highly recommended places uh, to go to. 
uh, and um, not easy to get to, but uh, worth it. Um, n- oh, next thing, I'm going to be leading a tour over there, right? That's my next move. Not. Don't even ask. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, that's where we ended up. I was, you know, so I'm having a hard time getting back into this stuff here. I mean, this podcast is kind of the first. Uh, well, this is way more fun. Um, but uh, the droll stuff, even of whatever I do, which is mostly great, uh, is hard at this point because of mm. there's, I have a certain longing for just being in that piece for a little bit more. But, you know, karma is karma, huh? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Regarding, though, I feel like I'm going on, Dave, but uh, regarding the uh, that little experience I have, and we talked about judgment, so... I found this other thing that uh, it's it's some another article that uh, I had sitting around, and um, it's called uh, an appeal to our inner judge. So I thought we'd talk about this for a second because we, we you know we're talking about judging stuff. Yes. Uh, and in this case, of course, judging ourselves. But uh, if we're judging ourselves, we're judging the shit out of everybody we meet. So this is a, a fun story. Uh, so this guy writes, he's uh, like on his way somewhere and he gets to, this, to the airport. And the announcement, oh, flight's delayed 45 minutes. Almost immediately, a voice bellowed from behind me in a deep southern accent. You talking to us, lady? I turned and saw a man I would best describe as Santa Claus with an attitude. Mid-60s, white beard and hair, wearing overalls and a flannel shirt, car magazine in hand. I have to admit that I thought I had him pegged, as if his whole life experience could be summed up and understood in that moment. Boy, do we do that? I'm, I'm okay. Man, I shouldn't say we, but I find myself in airports no, no, doing the a, same. It's a we. <laughs> it's a we. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he gets on the plane with a guy, and who's he sitting next to? But angry Santa himself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so the plane takes off and he's trying to just involve himself in working on his computer and not having to talk to angry Santa. Um, then uh, finally they get close to uh, descending into the airport. Uh, and and it is a time when, that's the time when you're going to, if you're going to meet anybody sitting next to you on a plane, it's that time when you suddenly start to go down, right? People start to get chatty, um, and which is what he says. Um and you also, and he says, of course, you, and if you start then, you're, it's going to be over in 10, 15 minutes. So, you know, you don't have to talk to someone for two hours. So he turns to him and says, what takes you to New York, to Angry Santa? And he says, so this Angry Santa says, I'm going to a professional meeting. He's responding. And it, so when I asked him what he did for a living, he answered that he was a radiologist. Okay. Mm. Hey, <laughs> with the overalls and the flannel shirt and the southern accent. Um, so... Um, so he says, despite this guy's a diversity consultant with 30 years of experience, I'm embarrassed to admit that the guy I had perceived as a person of lesser education was, in fact, a doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, this, and to my surprise, it didn't stop there. When I asked him if he had a particular area of interest within radiology, he said he was using active brain scans to examine how humans responded to stimuli especially when they interacted with different types of people. Exactly what had been going on here. So, um, anyway, we just talked about the, the unconscious mind plays tricks on us, uh, on all of us in that way. Every day, our biases determine what we see 
and how we judge those around us. Uh, you know, so and he goes on to talk about bias. I mean, is this not I mean, this is I mean, it's a great starting point because unless you get you, you really, you know, it's easier, I think. Would you agree? It's easier to catch yourself with this kind of uh, external judgment of those around you than it is, um, you know, you're catching yourself about yourself, you know, talking to, you know, the self-talk that we do, judging ourselves and so on and so on. I mean, maybe it's of equal nature. I'm not sure. I think it's fairly similar. But no, I would agree. No, I tend to agree with you. It, it is more harsh at least in its re resonance in your own head, you know, that you're judging someone else and you know, you just know that that's not cool. Um, you know, unless it's a matter of a, a moment of judgment to make a, 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 a discrimination issue where you discriminate between something which is false or true or something which is violent or gentle, um, that's a different kind of judgment. That's discrimination. Mm. And you yeah. just can't stop being discriminating, you know, and, and it's like saying, oh, I'll cross the road, there are a lot of cars coming, but they'll miss me. You know, that's ridiculous. You'll stay at the side of the road, you've made a judgment not to walk across the road. And a very simple-minded analogy. But I, in terms of your own, judging your own thing, as I said before, I'm finding, without hopefully being too complacent, that, um, you know, I, it, it, it is easier to catch your, your own violence um, and particularly in terms of taste, you know, um, I, I didn't watch the VMA Awards uh, last week. You were in India, the Video Music Awards were on, and mm. I, I've watched them occasionally over the years and, and, and had to, you know, stop myself from uh, vomiting. Um, but so I decided not to get into that nausea state by just not watching it. Um, however, you know, why don't I like that? It's not, then it's a matter of taste, and that's also based on amazing amount of conditioning, isn't it? Um, whereby we were talking about George Harrison before the podcast, and um, Harrison was an extremely dharmic person, I think, a spiritual person, and wrote a lot of music that was very deep and moving and very wise, I think. So I say, oh, George Harrison was great. What has Nicki Minaj done for me lately? you know, except show me her ass. Um, and that's so considerable, that's a, though. Which, you know, it's a big thing. But uh, the question there is, what right do I have from my perspective to make a judgment when someone else can, uh, can gain some moment of joy from something that I personally don't find um, joyous or, or anything? It's a subtle point because one has to have some form of discrimination, and we've all been to movies that we hated, you know. You go to a movie and uh, you come out and you go, why did I just waste $15? It's nonsense. That movie was nonsense. I don't think that's what I'm talking about. Music's a different thing. Music really is a, is a what's the word, a touchstone. And people get off from different things. There were people in their millions who loved, you know, David Cassidy. And I'm listening to Peter Townsend and Jimi Hendrix, and they're listening to David Cassidy. And I was extremely snotty about that and back in the day. You know, I'd say, how could they possibly be listening to that rubbish when I'm listening to these geniuses? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's how a could they be listening to that rubbish? How could they? Yeah. Well, because their background their, uh, and so forth uh, uh, sort of led them to that. And 
eventually maybe it would lead them somewhere else. But I mean, again, to kind of, it hurts someone's feelings to say to them, oh, you like that band, I hate them. Because you are saying then that their taste, their judgment is, is, is faulty, you know. It's a little different if someone's killing someone or even if someone's killing... Um, I remember being at your house a couple of years ago and uh, someone was there, found a, a tick uh, on their leg, on her leg, and, and, and she didn't kill it or squash it or anything. She picked it out and then took it out in the garden and, and put it back in the garden. And some people might find that ridiculous. But at the time, I thought, wow, that is a Buddhist move, if ever, if ever there was one. That she just does not want to kill a sentient being. I mean, we can't say, you know, the, the, His Holiness says all the time that insects are much better than we are because <laughs> they have no agenda. They just go about their business. Hmm. You know, they're not rude. They're not nasty. They're not jealous. They're not full of lust, or at least maybe they are. One ant maybe is lustful for another ant. I don't know. But what he's saying is that we're just so full of stuff, uh, which causes these judge, this inner judge to just, this judge dread to come out and say, <laughs> you know, that guy with the beard is an idiot. And, you know, it happens all the time, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, but, really you know, you bring up something, something trips in my mind when you start talking about... Uh, uh, the judging of uh, media, you know, movies, music, whatever you think someone's better, you know that, you know, which we do all the time. Um, yeah. You know that? Remember that book, uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? I do. Yeah, I do. So one of the big themes of that book is what is quality, and who knows what quality is? Who are the people that actually can? You know, remember that. Yes. So that's this is an interesting thing as well, related to, um, you know, I I I'm not sure how it relates to what we're talking about in terms of judging other people without having, well, just the fact of it is, is an aggressive move, right? I mean, it's it's a separation. As soon as you do that, you're separate. You know, you're doing I, me, mine. I mean, you're doing us and them rather. Um, so just that in itself is is destructive is is you know a destructive uh, deal as far as the, the Buddhists would say um, or anybody. Uh, isn't it, Rago? Isn't it in a matter of taste? Isn't it more like you're not going to stop yourself making comparisons because it happens, you know? And you know you could, but the question is how you articulate it and bring it out into the world, and therefore it strikes mm -hmm. someone else mm -hmm. and causes them a moment of doubt and pain. Uh, or even self-subjugation of some kind, you know, someone said, it's like, you know, you, you, I, I had it happen to me this week when I said that a certain movie I thought was fantastic and the person I was walking down the street with looked at me like I was a crazy person and said, you know, how could you think that even? And we didn't go on with it because I didn't want to get into it. But uh, I was just saying I thought it was fantastic. She was saying I thought it was a piece of crap. Mm -hmm. And there's no, you know, those two are not going to meet. The question is, though, how strident you get in one's judgments in front of others. You've got to deal with your own insides, of course. But, I mean, you know, um, it, it happens every day, doesn't it? It just happens every day that we make judgments about, I mean, you know, I live in an apartment building with tons of people in it. And sometimes I just, it just the expression is, get my goat. I don't know where does that where does that expression come from? It gets your goat. I, I can't penetrate that. If anybody's got an idea on that, please write to the website. So this is the uh, prescription um, 
uh, yeah. in this article related to this, which is, and well, I'll, let me just uh, tell you what he says. The good news is that while it may not be possible to eliminate bias, there appear to be ways to identify and navigate it. First, recognize and accept that you have bias. Rather than feel guilty about them, take responsibility for them. Once you accept them, you can begin, begin to limit their impact. You, hmm. To do so, and here's the key, this is the thing that we go back to on almost podcast after podcast. Yeah. And that is, you must develop the capacity to observe yourself in action and to notice when certain people or circumstances serve as triggers. Witness. Mm. If you cannot develop the witness, you really cannot transform all of these kinds of things. And certainly, you know, this uh, inner judge uh, is a major, major thing because it it immediately creates separation. And anything that immediately creates separation, and that's Mm. you know, and and that's also when you're doing it to yourself because you are absolutely um, you are in out of um, love, you are in, um, you know, duality, the duality of um, the violent act of uh, attacking. You're attacking yourself. And because it, it supposedly is going to make you feel, you know, that's this thing about guilt. Rather than feel guilty, take responsibility, you know. So in, in my little drama there, I, that did happen. I take responsibility in that, okay, in this life, in this karmic adventure and, uh, you know, of releasing all of this, um, I have to accept that I fall short, you know, uh, three fifty instead of five bucks happens to me all the time, Dave. I, mm. I, you know, so, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. I just um, something to, oh, I'll, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll wait. Yeah. No, don't wait. Cause I'm oh, finished. Well, just many years ago, I interviewed the uh, the very esteemed uh, right wing conservative philosopher William F. Buckley Jr., mm. uh, who was a hated person in my world at that time, and um, I did a one hour interview with him. Uh, uh, this is going to go on a bit, so bear with me. Uh, I just when I did the interview for WGBH TV in Boston, I'd flown in from London that day, and had uh, the worst flu. I could hardly talk. I could hardly breathe. I was absolutely, you know, but I wasn't going to miss this chance to meet this um, bete noire, if you like, mm. of my life, you know. Reagan, he's the guy that really put Reagan in the White House. And everybody agrees with that. So I got to the studio and uh, Mr. Buckley had arrived before me and he was in the green room. And I was a bit trepidatious. I mean, I really was nervous to meet this guy. And um, I, I was led to the green room. I was kind of late. And I got in there and I said hello and everything. And he said hello. We talked for about three, four minutes. And then Buckley said to me, "Uh, Mr. Silver, you don't seem to be well. And I said, no, I have the flu. He said, are you taking anything for it? I said, well, yeah, I was in England, but I don't have anything here. He said, well, let's get someone to do that for you. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, let's just get on the phone and get someone to get you some aspirin or something because you're not not looking good, man. (laughs) This is this guy... And then he said to him, he'd flown in from New York for this interview, and he said to me, you know, we don't have to do this. You're ill. And it's not good to work when, you, when you're sick like this because you'll just get sicker. 
One hour of live television with me will make you sicker, Mr. Silver. I think we should postpone. I said, no, I can't. I really want to talk to you. He said, no, I'll come back. I'll come back. It's all right. Uh, I just, I feel bad for you. We did the show, but only after some tea was made on his insistence and some uh, aspirins were brought in for me and other stuff, whatever it was. And uh, he was just an absolute gentleman. <laughs> he couldn't possibly have been more thoughtful, more kind. And after the show, even after the show, he said, let's get some more tea for you. He was just thinking about me. And we argued all the way through the show. He called me a, what did he call me? An elitist socialist is what he called me. But he never displayed anger towards me or any form of hostility. And after the show, he would not go until he saw that I was put into a car and taken home. And I never, you know, I never forgot it. I wrote to him about a year later, just asking him if he remembered this. And he wrote back to me immediately and said, I love the interview. I think you're a fine gentleman. And I, I appreciate uh, how much we disagree, but we, we, we certainly formed some kind of friendship. Right, Mr. Silver? Mm. I was just mind blown. Well, and that was, I was 24 at the time. And uh, people hated him in the 60s. Tremendously. I mean, everyone I knew was angry with me for even talking to him. People in Cambridge, Mass. in the 60s were not happy with me for talking to this right-wing guy. Mm. And all I can say is that he was not faking it. He right. was genuinely concerned. He showed tremendous compassion. And then weeks later when I wrote, he, he showed more compassion. Mm. And, you know, uh, that might not sit well with some people, but it taught me a lesson all those years ago, 45 years ago, taught me a lesson not to judge too heavily. I mean, he was, you know, I don't know what I'd do with, you know, Hermann Goering, you know, or, or Nazi, or I don't think any amount of compassion would, would work from someone who was a killer. Mm. But that was my learning. It was not a, a guru or a Buddhist or a teacher of any kind. It was just a moment when I realized that this man was, and I've heard since from his son, Christopher Buckley and other people, that he was always like this, that he was an absolute gentle soul. And despite his weird political views, mm -hmm. he was very beautiful one-on-one one -on -one with people and treated people very well. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether that stayed with me, quite honestly, but at least I learned a little bit in my 20s that, you know, try not to go in there with an attitude that is divisive, as you say, that causes more duality and, and, yeah. and more horror. You know, I, Rago, in the book you recommended by um, Tirton Sargyal, it says in the foreword of the book, which is all I've read really, that he was intent on creating less divisiveness in the world. That was one of his great missions. And when he was mm. teaching the 13th Dalai Lama, he was a teacher, mentor to the 13th Dalai Lama, he was all about that. And, and, and maybe he knew that the 14th Dalai Lama would, would have to leave Tibet, would then, you know, influence the entire world mm. with his compassion and with his brilliance of stating, of articulating that compassion. Yeah, um, this, well, you know, I mean, all of the, the things that he, the, the treasures that he was uncovering, Tirtan Sogyo, the termas, they call them, um, this was all predicted from Padma Sambhava, who was an, an you know, a realized Indian sage um, who went to Tibet and started Tibetan Buddhism, basically. And he, he put out, he created all of these uh, termas, which would be the revealed teachings 
um, that would happen over time because they were not supposed to be revealed uh, except at the appropriate time. And I'm sure because, and, and this, he was specific, Tertan Sogyal was specifically um, predicted to be one of two, I believe, who were instrumental in getting these revealed, uh, these teachings from Padmasambhava. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he only died in, in 1926. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like it's in the 16th century or anything. So, um, Can you per- talk about those termas for a minute? Because probably quite a few people don't know. They're actually, they have, they're hidden, they're treasures. hidden treasures. Yeah. And in the treasure, it may be a, a stone, a special stone. It may be a statue um, that has a power. They all have power. There's a certain power attributed to them. And m- many of them are uh, new revealed teachings. Um, they're, they're actually on specific topics. And that's why I say when you finally read the book, we can, we can go. There's, some in, about, yeah, th- yeah. there's one thing in there that is just, it'll blow your mind. Uh, you probably haven't gotten to it yet. Be here now. It is be here now said in a completely Tibetan way. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So, um, so, so these things got revealed. And part of when you talk about the, uh, you know, he was bringing, what he was trying to bring together, there was tremendous divisiveness among, amongst the different sects of Tibetan Buddhism. And one in particular was really against um, this whole revelations from Padmasambhava. I mean, you know, it gets far too arcane, uh, you know, for me to understand how these things work against these different divisions of Tibetan uh, Buddhism work, the Kagyu and the blah, blah, blah. That's why I want to get, we got to get Lama Suryadas back on the podcast. We should get him, Dave, and and talk about um, this Tirtan Sogyal book. That would be the thing. Mm. I'm going to get him to do that. Yeah, just to focus, because, you know, he would know very much, uh, you know, a lot about that. And um, um, listen, isn't it, isn't it interesting though, Raga, that they are secret and they're time capsules. They're not supposed to be released at any time right. before they are, in fact, really, you know, revealed or someone finds them by intuition or vision, right? Um, and it can be hundreds of years. Am I right? It's not just a few oh, weeks. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, uh, Padma Sambhavi, you're talking about. What seventh or eighth century, I believe, yeah, is when he 1200 years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, and when he went to uh, Tibet, and uh, and so when before he left India, he came, he left Tibet and came back to India, I believe, before he left that body. Um, he these so all of he created these treasures and and they were hidden, and so how they find them is they um, you know they have uh, visionary dreams. Uh, they're they're told to go look for a certain other person who once they get with that person go to another place different interactions happen to to create the uh, the uh, finding of of the of the treasure it's just one of the most fascinating books I ever read really is so we will uh, folks we'll share that more um, we're we're kind of reaching the end of the uh, the we podcast are? well flew, yeah flew time fine. flies. Dave, when you're having fun, but I want to yeah, talk. I, no, seriously, that seems like twenty minutes to me. Yeah, I want to talk about something though uh, that uh, we've had. Uh, Dave is not so won't talk about this stuff, folks, but uh, I am. Um, <laughs> okay. Which is people writing in and saying, you know, this oh. this bullshit that you do with the end of the world stuff. What? Where is that from? And I'm not. And when David Silver goes on about. 
this Republican guy that does, you know, this absurd, maniacal stuff. I'm not interested in that. No, you said he turns it off immediately. He, well, that's Immediate. even more than non-interested. So, you know, we, we take everybody's comments uh, seriously. Well, and, you know, and we know uh, we're just doing what, uh, you know, we're trying a little levity. We thought that was a little... I'm going to continue, Dave. Okay, I'm not... I mean, this has nothing to do with politics. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the, the big politician kind of guy. I mean, you're much more into that stuff. Um, but this is... Uh, it is potentially crosses over from the end of the world and we can call it something because somebody else says don't call it the end of the world just call it crazy ass shit that's going on <laughs> um i said okay that's good um but uh the, the um this could even carry over into what we've been talking about in terms of going to india and in you know um, self-inquiry uh, everything we're talking so here it is okay it's a question yes. would you rather a okay Spend some time alone with your thoughts, or just alone, no thoughts, would you? Or receive an electrical shock from a 9-volt battery, okay? You have a choice. Which one do you want to do? Well, I mean, is there any reason? <laughs> I'd rather spend time with my quiet thoughts. Okay, that sounds reasonable, but it's not. A recent okay. study found that left alone in a room for 15 minutes with a shock administrating device, 67% of men, okay, but 67% of men, only 25% of women chose to zap themselves rather than do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys out there... Well, this and, proves that women are more evolved than men. Well, that's, that's one thing. Say. That's one big thing. The other thing is... It also wait. What, uh, the average number of shocks was about three, though one man <laughs> jolted himself a hundred and ninety times, or every four point eight seconds. Why? Uh, I spec. I suspect our results say more about the limits of the human mind than they do about contemporary society. <laughs> this was a real study, okay? So if that's not the end of the world, it's certainly stupid. You know, asinine bullshit that is happening. That is sick. So, uh, you know, we, I, I, you know, um, and oh, the person also said, uh, you know, and suggested that we were being what smarmy about is no, it not fun to laugh at other people's, you know. No, no, he said, uh, uh, he said something to the effect that we suddenly descended to being AM shock jocks of oh, some yeah. kind and that we were just, you know, really, it really didn't. I mean, you know, he was very respectful, actually, because he was saying, I love the podcast and I love what you guys talk about. But when you do this, it just, to me, demeans the whole thing. And, um, you know, which suggested that he's, uh, you know, kind of offended by them. And it brings him down, you know, when he's listening. And I mean, the, getting... the, 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 the 38-year-old guy that gets, uh, gets off on uh, having sex with 80-year-old women... Oh, here you go again. You I'll never forget up. that one. Okay, I mean, well, that was funny. You know, that was. I funny. thought it was. So, okay, um, we're going to continue. I'm going to find more of these, Dave. Okay, I don't care. If you can get find some really heavy political maniacs, they're easy well, to just find. To, just to annoy them. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I uh, do. I do want to say one thing, which is that if you're just completely, completely, totally pure in a cave, and that's what you do, that's great. But I think it is good to know uh, certain aspects of our culture. That, uh, that affect people around you, because surely we're in this together. And when I read that, for instance, uh, in Texas, 
the, the, you know, sort of inestimably strange governor Rick Perry has done everything in his power to restrict women's right to choose. Um, I think the women, at least in Texas, should know about this and that we should know about it. And if that political kind of stuff really annoys people, well, then they're not seeing the whole thing that we're about, which is just living on the planet with other people at this time. No, I mean, we, you know, we are all responsible for everything, so we cannot lock out anything in terms of transforming our consciousness. So that that's absolutely true. Getting back to this thing, maybe Rick Perry should be one of these guys that's, you know, getting that ninefold buzz every 4.8 seconds. It <laughs> might help him out. Um, but... Uh, it's it's primary. Those of you who anybody who is using a nine volt battery to you know make sure that they absolutely don't fall into uh, the despair of nothing, um, then uh, I suggest you go go to Jagashwar because to uh, Jagashwar. that's it's pregnant. So when you're there, you don't feel like oh God, what am I going to do? There's nothing. It's pregnant. Mm -hmm. It's that whole thing about the Buddhist you know emptiness is really. Not a word that we under, you know, the way we understand emptiness has nothing to do with what they're talking well, they, about. I mean, they actually certainly the um, uh, Zogchen people qualify that by calling it cognizant emptiness, mm. Very which, good. Is, which is a whole different way of, of, mm. of seeing it. And that's why I love those Zogchen dudes, those Mahamudra dudes, because they always will have a way of describing these phenomena that we experience as human beings in a way that uplifts us rather than drags us down into the dirt and makes us suicidal. I mean, they yeah. do say, you know, emptiness is not badness. Emptiness is not nihilism. Emptiness is just a realization of the whole thing rather than just your little moment. Uh, so we're reaching the end of this. Which yeah. Is so very uh, yeah, please. Uh, I'm amazed you were so energetic. You were you were jet lagged like a maniac I know. A couple of days ago, and I now know. you're. I got a night's sleep last night. So that, that does it. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. just makes it better. Um, but uh, it's great to be back and great to see you again. Actually, I haven't seen because Dave and I are skyping, so um, we're, skyping, we're able yeah. to see each other. And to thank um, people who are who are sending donations of, of various kinds, and uh, particularly those that have sent monthlies, you know, that just sort of recurs without them bothering with it. And um, you know, we just have to put one more word in about Amazon. Just use the Amazon link if you want to buy something, and it helps us. And by the way, we're uh, we're in the midst of uh, changing the website, so that's something else we're looking forward to yep. to make things easier and more. Easier for us, uh, in particular, Dave, to put up, uh, you know, when we talk about something on a podcast, we may even, you know, we're going to have, uh, I think we'll have transcriptions going on now. So we'll be able to uh, easily that pick out the stuff time. that we talk about, Turton Sogyal, the art, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. So, you know, giving you ideas about what to get on Amazon. So go to mindrollingpodcast.com. And please, right. uh, you know, uh, get that Amazon thing up on your uh, on, featured on your bar up there and it's just a link and uh, thanks again uh, we also appreciate you know we've been talking about people writing to us you know just uh, keep keep that coming and you know it gives us fodder uh, to uh, talk about more stuff here and Dave we will see you uh, next week on yes. Mind Rolling yeah, au revoir de bonne chance <laughs>